I say, an audio cast for sensible people. In New York this morning, just about half past nine. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Duffer Cast. Out in New York this morning, just about half past nine. Episode one. Physicists don't flirt. We are being recorded whether you like it or not. And you like it because it's obviously a podcast. So has anybody checked if we have any mail? I just came to think of that now. We have some mail account, but I, I, I forgot to. I looked the other week, and we had a comment, but um, which I which I which I released, but um, that's that, that's all. I, th- I think that's all we've had uh, recently. So one comment. Oh, I had lots of very nice comments on Identica, of course. We can't forget our uh, loyal loyal following uh, there. That's true. We did. We did. Yeah, there was loads of comments. Uh, I haven't been using Identica so much recently because I thought the pump. I- I was going to wait till the pump IO went through, but it hasn't. So I checked Identica a bit today, and we had actually a discussion of your lawnmower. Yes, yes, that's come up several times. It seems to not want to die, my lawnmower. Although I I have some bad news that uh, not long after the last recording, I threw my uh, I threw my lawnmower over a a, a fairly high fence. Not a lot of anger, but to get it on the other side of the fence. And when it came down, it, it its casing cracked. And it is a fly-mo, so I don't know how to put this, but, you know, it's it's fly-moing days maybe behind it now. Uh, but it makes it more stealthy. You threw a lawnmower over a hedge. You didn't think anything could go wrong with that. No, it was a, it was a fence. It was only six <laughs> foot high. And the, lo- and the lawnmower wasn't on at the time, at least not very on. <laughs> oh dear. But did you think that the fly in fly mo means it could fly? Or? Well, I was sort of hoping that, yes. I mean, uh, it's, you know, trade's description and everything. You know, it does say fly mo on it. <laughs> I, I thought you were trying to hit the, hit the next door neighbour with it. You know, they'd done you some harm. Actually, it was from my garden into my garden. So uh, it was some kind of masochistic uh, attack. So it, it isn't a federated lawnmower then? No, no. I mean, I, I've tried to, you know, like, pimp it and pump it up, but uh, no, to no avail. Uh, Luke1972, the user with that name on Identica today, wrote something like WWMLD. What would McNallow's lawnmower do? <laughs> I thought it was quite fun. Yes, I, I saw that. Uh, I, was, I couldn't help thinking it was something to do with uh, lawnmowers of mass destruction as well, but I couldn't quite figure that one out. We received quite a bit of feedback. Andy C was uh, was 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 uh, particularly verbose about uh, the Duffer cast. Thank you very much, Andy. He has got terrible taste, unfortunately. Yes, yes, the people he mixes with, <laughs> and the podcasts he likes. Ugh. And then we got a comment from Laney. And we got pimped on the, the Bugcast as well, or the award-winning bodca- podcast, The Bugcast. And Yannick named us, uh, mentioned us on Utopia Radio, actually. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, and uh, they both have uh, not turned up tonight, unfortunately. Apparently they're washing their hair. Each other's hair. Yes, it's quite... I, I, don't, don't be judgmental. 
I'm not, but I mean, when you're award-winning podcasters, uh, or wannabe award-winning podcasters even, I mean, you've really got to, you know, you scratch my back and I'll wash your hair. Maybe they're uh, polishing their skulls. I like that image more, actually. It makes them sound somewhat evil. Not that they are evil, but it makes them sound evil. I think also, speaking of feedback, I think Kevy mentioned us too, or said it was good, and Kevy has a good taste, so... Not in co-hosts, though. It'll let any old person on to co-host his podcasts. That's called tolerance. Yes, it's true. He's very tolerant of me, I have to say. It's very kind of him. At the moment. I know. Well, he beats me a little bit, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Is that an old Scottish tradition? Yes, well, I mean, the, he's, a, he's a Highland Islander, and I'm a Lowlander, so, you know, it's just what we do. I think you really need to fix your phone Cause mine's collecting dust inside my home I think it's broken and it makes me sad Cause it's been days and you haven't called me back Now I'm not really good at fixing things But I will do my best to make yours ring when I finally made it to your home I saw you talking on your phone Oh baby why'd you do me like that I guess we'll never know I'll always wonder what we could have had If you had the nerve to call me Maybe it's lost and it could not be found Or it shattered when it hit the ground But had I known that it was working fine Then I never would have wasted my time for what to talk about today. We have some subject suggestions, but I'm not... We had that last time too, I think, but uh, I'm not sure if we cared about them. Or did we? Well, we kind of looked at them and then ignored them. Well, I saw surveillance was on our list of things to talk about. And I was just wondering, could the NAC or GCHQ be bugging our podcast? I mean, how do we know that, you know, they're not listening? Well, we do make it public, so um, I guess <laughs> listen away. 
Oh yes, uh-huh, but they won't get this the subtle, you know, under un, uh, undercurrent that's going on between us all. You know, the binary modulation by which I'm transmitting to you guys all uh, my state secrets. Is that why I have a headache? Yeah, it's the audio encoding. It's yeah, and the state secrets are are well, just really like, frankly, just pictures of me in the bath. And they should remain state secrets. They should. Uh, but I was fully clothed. You take a bath fully clothed? Well, okay. Well, when I know it's going to be broadcast on the internet, it seems a prudent measure to take. But this is only on audio cast, so... That's true, yeah. So, well, they say the pictures are better in the radio, don't they? Yeah, and in inside our heads. I'm just trying not to imagine, don't imagine, don't imagine. So what else was on our list? So that's surveillance taken care of. No, but surveillance was the biggest story since we last recorded, and, and the fact that uh, you know the whole Snowden affair and 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 well, the circus around where he is, and nobody talking about the allegations. I, I think that's horrendous. Yeah, that's the thing that really annoys me about the whole thing is it's kind of this great big where's Edward Snowden soap opera. You know, there's some really serious allegations have been made and are flying around and nobody, you know, they've been completely, completely ignored. And it's, I don't think, yeah, the press is completely, is completely, well, there's a, couple, there's a couple of media outlets are covering them, but in, by and large, the press have completely failed here, I think. Yeah, it's been a quite, I, I don't really watch the general media like every day or the TV, but it, it is a lot about where is he and blah, 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 and not about actually the subject matter. But I was surprised because the other day, like two, three days ago, I saw actually on Swedish public TV, so public service TV, that they had a short interview with William Binney. I'm not sure if you know who he is. He's a US intelligence official that worked for the NSA for like 30 years, and then he left because he thought they were like losing focus. So he really knows what he's talking about. Of course, he got harassed and everything, but he didn't get any prison or anything. Yeah, I think actually just after the Snowden story broke, I was chatting with somebody on Identica, and I think it was William Binney, that name rings a bell, because I remembered reading about a, a former whistleblower, and what that former whistleblower had, amongst the things he had said, was that uh, that there were attempts to collect data on people, uh, and uh, it was being done incredibly badly and inefficiently. So he was blowing the whistle not only on the very act of doing it, but the whole fact that it was very chaotic and badly done, which is reminiscent of the whole Snoopers Charter thing where they were proposing in the UK to to, to, to log all these uh, communications. Uh, although if you looked at what they planned, it was very hard to see how you'd actually implement it, even if the law was passed, which thankfully it wasn't. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, his critique was that it was just mass collecting now instead of like intelligent intelligence, so to speak. And they, oh, I've seen someone he's speaking. He has, I think, he has uh, talked together with a few times with Jacob Applebaum. If you know who he is, he's very involved in the Tor uh, anonymity project. His critique is both like it's they're not like doing it in a relevant and economical way, and they're spending so much money on huge big systems. So it, it's a lot about spending money on like private firms. 
there does seem to be an element of you know if we can if we can capture this data then we should and no no one's stopping to ask you know is it even relevant to anything is you know is can you do anything is, is there any point to it and you know apart from privacy issues it's like all this money on capturing people's emails about what they had for tea last night is you know well the hoovering up of of, of this information and and then what they will do with it later, or they will trump up um, charges, or or, or um, use it to back up some other particular charge they want to bring against somebody. That's it's a very um, big brotherish. Yeah, the the big worry is that you know they're capturing this information with no idea what they're going to do with it. So the temptation is always going to be just to start going on fishing trips. And it's like, well, let's, let, let's, let's just search through and see what keywords we can come up with. And so, you know, so, some, you, you know, and, and you'll be caught, even though there's, there was no reason to look to, 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 to try and, to, to try and hunt people down or, or anything. It's just like, okay, we've got this email that I can interpret in some way that's going to do say I can interpret one way or another. And then, Suddenly, you're you're in a whole world of pain over some some innocent remark that's been pulled out of context. Yeah, I listened to a twit one of the twit podcasts, and they were saying that uh, well, Leo Laporte, the famous Leo Laporte, was saying that you know, he he could imagine that they will just gather this information and then you know X number of years down down the road they are, and they they choose to to find information on a certain person, they just drag through the dredges of their life and trail out what little bits of information, take it out of context. And, and trump it up into whatever whatever kind of thing suits them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. basically what the newspapers currently do to celebrities, but uh, but uh, perhaps to, to everybody, this could happen. I don't often listen to the tweet costs, some like Floss Weekly, but there is one security now, I think, and uh, they talked about this prism, and the guy who had that cost, he talked about that the prism was... He, he, uh, his uh, interpretation of what that name actually meant is, is not that they, so much this program where they ask information from Google and uh, Yahoo and so. It's more that because they on the ISP level, they actually planted the equipment that just sucks up a lot of stuff. And they planted it on like hubs and so, where, which are often near the big Google etc. server farms. So they don't even have to talk to Google. So his his interpretation was that the, when Google and uh, Yahoo and so said that we don't know anything about this, so there was actually some truth in it. They didn't even have to go to them because they were already on the ISP level, and there are just some really big ones that matter. I saw, yeah, I saw, I saw the Google denial about it, and I saw Facebook's denial about it. And what struck me was both denials were very carefully worded and very similar. It's not a, oh no, we're not doing anything about this. It's like, well, we, 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 there's a whole list of very specific things that they're saying they're not doing, but that doesn't necessarily say, but it doesn't. They don't say we've got no involvement in any of these sorts of schemes at all. So. Um, and and this is this is what I mean about the going, going back to the dealing with the actual allegations is nobody that nobody is pinning no, no no one in the media is trying to pin down exactly what information Google are handing over or how they're handing it over you know Google Facebook and all the rest of them what what, what they are handing over and how they're handing it over it's you know, we we just don't know yeah the h- hypothesis was um, on on that uh, 
podcast that um, Mikhail was talking about was they have some kind of splitter, um, fiber splitter. So they have a fiber heading off, you can imagine it, going from this giant service provider and heading off towards Google land. Um, but it's in the service provider's um, premises, and they split the light, and they uh, just uh, passively monitor all that traffic. And they know that traffic's going to Google, and they know what it is, and at least they can collect the uh, the, the metadata details, um, even if they can't get some of the encrypted stuff. But they'll gather huge amounts of information from that and store it. One thing I read just uh, earlier on this evening, it was a quite interesting interview between uh, of Richard Stallman by uh, Roy Shestowitz, Witz, and he uh, and I can't remember who who actually said it, but one of them was pointing out that if you decided to use Duck Duck Go instead of Google to do your web searches, um, you really don't necessarily have that much more privacy uh, because Duck Duck Go would be uh, likely using. Uh, services of Amazon. So even if you trusted DuckDuckGo, you'd also have to trust Amazon as well, uh, who were handling all the traffic. Um, and I think Richard Stallman's answer to this was, I use both Google and DuckDuckGo, but I make sure that neither of them knows who I am or where I am or what my, you know, I'm not using an IP address that can be readily associated with me. There is also another thing that I don't haven't seen much and it is that the U.S. is, uh, well, Chinese too, and of course, and the, the French and everything, and they're like vacuum cleaning data traffic and they can store everything. And then I wonder, like, for example, the American organizations or authorities, how much they like suck up from information from non-American companies and actually share with American companies. It doesn't have to be like systematic or anything, but it, it's enough that they, some big, say, American corporations have friends in these organizations. And it's actually a lot of company information that are leaked, not just in the U.S., but probably in many other places. And it's just actually a big problem probably for companies. I mean, there are company secrets uh, not illegal secrets. I mean, yeah, no, for I, their I, I economy, and I, it I seems think... like nobody talks about this. this. Is so strange because they they're yelling about patents and infringements and blah blah blah. But when it comes to really, you know, companies spying, which is actually probably a, a bigger problem, then it's nobody yeah. says anything. That's that's a really good point, actually, because at the end of the day, is that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, companies companies should be worrying about the fact that this information is being sucked up. They don't know who's sucking it up, what, where it's going, and yeah, there's there could well be sensitive information in there, and they've got there's no transparency, so they've got no way of knowing whether there's somebody somebody somewhere in the in the system just passing it over. I mean, how how many how many engineers are looking at this thing? I mean, Edward Snowden was uh, an external contractor, so there's probably very little control over who gets access to it. Yeah, that's one irony with Snowden is that what he reveals is, I mean, it's not particularly secrets about military strategies or anything. It's more about how things work, and the public isn't supposed to know that. But there are tens and thousands probably of private contractors that know this. <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing. What's, what's actually the, disturbed me most uh, is the lengths that uh, these agencies uh, have gone, NSA in particular in the United States, have gone 
to make sure that they're not accountable to anyone in uh, power, especially elected power. So I think some congressmen ha- had uh, suspicions or had been told what about what Snowden had revealed some time ago. Uh, and when they tried to ask uh, questions, they were in a position where they couldn't name the thing they wanted to ask about, which I presume was PRISM. Uh, so you have this bizarre situation uh, where you have a absolute lack of transparency, a lack of, therefore, accountability. Um, and, well, I, I would like to think uh, that, uh, that in the past it hasn't been like that, but I presume, actually, different versions of it have always been present. But what's different now, of course, is you know how widespread our communications are on the web, uh, and it's now more feasible than ever to record all of that. That's that's the difference, I suppose. It's the scale at which it's done. Uh, rather than it's not just the scale, though. It's, it's the way that, in the, in the past, the press would have been all over this, and now they're just rolling over and basically ignoring it. It's, you know, it's... There's, nobody's trying to hold anyone accountable for anything at the moment, as far as I can see. So I'm, I'm not sure that the press were uh, all that much better um, in, in the past. I mean, it's a slightly different topic, but take something top secret uh, like uh, the fact that uh, Windscale, which became Sellafield, the nuclear uh, facility, a power station uh, in the UK, uh, that was uh, that was being pushed to its very limits uh, under the Macmillan Prime Minister Macmillan's government uh, to produce weapons uh, grade in nuclear yeah. ma- ma- material. The press never got anywhere near that. It was only decades later that we we heard about that. So yeah, uh, I, th- yeah. I think if if anything, okay, we don't need to rely on the press now, but we do have ways of communicating outside the press. And for those who want to listen and listen on the internet, uh, I, I suppose that's what's better now than than we had in the past. To an extent, I mean, I mean, I, I take your point about the press probably hasn't, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a golden age of the press, although, and I take your point that they may not have, they may not be any worse than they used to be. Um, but I do think we have a lack of investigative journalism here, and that's, you, you, you know, and and at the end of the day, if you want to really find out what's going going on, you need to be paying somebody to go and dig through all these documents and. You know, go go and really really think. I don't think that you know independent people, bloggers, whatever, have the resources to do that. So you you need a you need we 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 need a more aggressive press than we than we currently have. I think. That's a, I think that's a fa- that's a fair point, and uh, I think a telltale sign of of that perhaps was that the Guardian newspaper broke the Snowden story. But in the UK, as far as I can make out, none of the other major newspapers carried it. The Telegraph, a little bit, I think. But only The Guardian really carried it. They broke the story. Uh, and it was bizarrely reported... Well, I mean, not that bizarre, but it was report, The Guardian's news story was reported more in the United States than it was by other newspapers in this country, certainly in, in, in the UK, I mean. Another very interesting aspect to all of this is the um, head of the NSA uh, was before a congressional committee back in March, and was asked a question to this effect, and he basically um, gave an untrue answer, and recently has um, apologized for giving, I think, what he called an erroneous answer. Erroneous? He lied, He basically. perjured himself, yeah, and yeah, that, 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 that again should be a crime, shouldn't it? I mean, surely turning up to, um, you know, a congressional hearing and lying, or committing perjury, 
But you're going to believe nothing then. Anything anybody says, you can believe nothing that nobody says at these hearings any further. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he should, have been, he should be prosecuted. I mean, he, he's turned up in front of a congressional committee and lied. That's perjury. He, he, should, be, he should be facing prosecution. And he, he hasn't even lost his job, has he? He's still, he's still there. Yeah, was, was this his name Clapper? Is that the person that's the you're one, thinking yeah, of? Yeah. Yes, no, I completely agree that the... To uh, the word, the way I I thought written down some of these horrible words that makes my 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 guts turn over when I see it. He misspoke was the word that I saw used to describe it today. But it's like you know the old joke that I'm not stupid. I just have bad luck when I'm thinking. <laughs> and uh, this is the same thing. I didn't lie. I just had like bad luck when I talked or something. <laughs> I must remember that one. I'll note that down for my own future reference. Yeah, stumbled on my own tongue or something. <laughs> no, but it's absurd because I don't think even during real war, I mean like Vietnam War or Second World War, I don't think a general would have escaped with actually sitting and lying in front of Congress or President. I don't think so. But now it's like, you know, this perpetual war, but I mean, it's it's not really war if you compare to real but, and but, still, it seems the military has a lot more to say. That's also strange. Well, a, a general who speaks up and tells the truth is more likely to be relieved of his command than uh, <laughs> uh, than uh, one who lies to be prosecuted. He should have at least got a cream cake in the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, the very least. Yeah, in color that matches his, you know, these medals they have. That would be nice. At least he's been tarnished by the silly name Clapper. <clears throat> That's good. Oh, this is a sad subject, really. I, I just heard, have, I don't remember the name, but there is some kind of Friday evening BBC comedy podcast. The news quiz. The, 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 the Friday comedy show, is that the one? Yeah, yeah. Per, perhaps. And a few weeks ago, when this was just new, when it just came out with the articles in The Guardian, they had like a surveillance show or something they they made some really funny jokes about the whole thing i mean it's a serious subject but it's it's good to joke about it too oh yes i think i think maybe you're thinking of the now show is that what you're thinking of oh uh, i i don't know i just um it's not some i don't have it subscribed in my audio player either so i'm not sure i think it was like friday comedy yeah yeah they 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 they, al- they alternate they have um they have a season of the now show and then they, and then that comes and then then it's the um the news quiz so if you if you so I, I i do subscribe to the friday comedy thing and it's either one or the other it's like it's when the news quiz starts when when, when the news quiz season starts i think great it's the news quiz and then the now show season starts and i think oh dear so but that's just me yeah, I'll try to find that one. I maybe put it in the show notes. Well, I've I've, I've got it in my um, uh, podcatcher, so I can d- dig out the link for the show, show notes if you want. British or in- or British comedies. I I've grown up with it, like all sweets in my age. TV mostly, of course, and well, some film, but a lot of TV, and uh, it's it's just the most the best <laughs> <laughs> comedy and satire and everything. I mean. You know what we should do, though, is we should turn the tables on these people and we should start bugging and logging and recording and watching everything this Clapper guy does uh, and is equivalent uh, in the UK. You know, we should start spying on them, see how they like it. <laughs> yeah. It would probably be 
boring. <laughs> yeah, actually, you might end up spying on them, spying on you, and then it'll be this kind of recursive feedback loop, and oh, we just eat ourselves. Yeah, so everybody has the their their uh, you know the camera, the webcam on their laptops, and it's like turned up, so it becomes like a tunnel. You know these pictures where it's just an eternal reflection back and forth. Oh yes, yeah. I, I, you know, or the other thing it reminds me of is you know this symbol that where the snake eats its own tail. It's called an aurora boris or something Robberus. like that. Aurora boris, aurora aurora yeah. That's right. Yes, aurora One of the other subjects we had uh, was the good old days before we had internet, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I remember. Uh, can we go back as far as I would go into uh, university with a big stack of floppy disks <laughs> and, and download vast quantities of data onto the floppy disks, knowing that 1 in 20 would not make it home because the floppy disks were so unreliable. Uh, that was my that was my first exposure to the internet. ASCII porn. 
<laughs> oh yes, oh, there were some good letters back then. There wasn't that many of them though. Or even before we had computers. Well, as as private persons. Yeah, my first techie hobby was in amateur radio. And um, I, that was my first exposure to the internet as well. Um, in the very early, sort of mid, mid-80s, I guess, um, doing... AX25 across uh, across the radio frequencies, amateur radio frequencies, and then um, doing TCP/IP or internet type protocols, which were really Telnet and uh, um, simple mail transfer protocol and FTP, doing that stuff. Seems quite many like old hackers and so actually started out in amateur radio. It's just my superficial impression, but. Yeah, I was I was listening to um, a talk about codecs. I, I'm, I'm like that's really sad. I found it interesting listening to this um, talk from Australia about the Opus codec, and there was another one about codec two. And this guy was a, a radio amateur, and he was talking about and drawing the comparisons between the hackers of today and the hackers of the past. You know, nineteen you know nineteen twenties. These guys making spark gap transmitters. They were the hackers of the past. Yes, I mean it's uh, when when I was a, a wee boy, I remember somebody gave me for Christmas a an electronic set. You know, when I had resistors and yeah, you know, capacitors and and bits and pieces. And um, and what, one thing I really enjoyed was making my first simple. I guess it was just a crystal radio set, uh, and then slightly more advanced version. And then if you switched a few wires around, it turned into a transmitter. And then I was able to transmit. Uh, uh, I think it was only AM. You couldn't do FM, AM. But you know, people did use uh, AM uh, amplitude modulation in those days quite a bit. Still, uh, medium wave, uh, etc. In the UK, um, and I was able to broadcast doing Morse code and then also me speaking uh, uh, the most advanced version until somebody pointed out that all the radios of <laughs> my parents' house were receiving my broadcast without me knowing it. <laughs> I was I was always like a practical idiot, so I, I really never did do anything of the sort. Is anyone did anyone here, or is anyone here old enough to have listened to Radio Luxembourg or something like yes, that? Yes, I am. I'm old enough. I, I used to listen to Radio Luxembourg. Yeah, I, I listened to it as well. It was uh, it was always very very strong. So I, I was able to listen to it from Northern Ireland, and it was really strong radio station. When, when did that stop then? I don't know. Ooh, early 1980s, maybe? I don't know. Okay, that's that would probably be why I never listened to it then, because I don't remember ever ever listening to it. I can still, okay. I, I can get, I can st- I still get RTL. I, I don't know if it's related, but one of the channels I get in, I can get in Belgium is RTL, which is Radio TV Luxembourg. But I don't know if it's related at all. But uh, no, but there's RTL everywhere, Paul. Is like RTL in in Hungary, RTL, you know, all over the okay. place. Okay, I'm um, to yeah, ignore me then. Yeah. So you didn't move to Belgium to be close to Luxembourg. Well, yeah, well, well, well. That's why. That's why I mentioned it. I just wondered if it, if if there, if there, if there was um, a cross bit of cross border uh, transmission going on there. But the thing I always remember about Radio Luxembourg is that the um, the DJ, one of the DJs, and I, I realise now that it was advertising, but it never occurred to me at the time. But one of the DJs always told you what what he was wearing when he read out the time. Hmm. And do you think you think he was sponsored? I by think he whoever? probably was sponsored by. Yeah, but obviously, I was I was, I was young and um, naive at the time, so it never occurred to me until until a few years later. I thought, of course, that's why he was doing that. Um, 
What was f- people's first experience with the internet proper? You know, when did you first get your hands on the internet? I well, I can I, I'll I remember that quite distinctly. Well, internet. Well, you know, to be honest, that could have been uh, my my dad bringing home a, uh, an old wooden box modem from work in the nineteen seventies and putting an old Bakelite tape phone into it. But my first proper recognizable internet experience was. Um, I think I was using email and all the rest of it and telnet that you mentioned earlier. But the step up from that was one day I was, and I guess I can date this, it must have been 1992. It must have been 1992. Uh, and I was doing, I just started my, uh, doing a, my PhD at Glasgow University at that time. And one of the other PhD students who was really quite a, into computers, more so than I was, he said, come and look at this, come and look at this, you've got to come and see this. Now, I can't remember exactly what you showed us, but I'm pretty sure it was a very a fairly early version of NCSA Mosaic, and he said, look at this, this is hypertext, this is a web browser, or, or something along those lines, and we're all very excited and crowding around the, the Sun workstation to look at it, and I remember he clicked on a link, and the browser completely crashed, yeah. <laughs> and we all went, that's rubbish, but within, I would say, was it three years of that, I'm pretty sure it was in within a few years of that, I started to see URLs appearing for the first time in ad- advertisements on billboards. Uh, you know, so by the mid nineties, that would started to happen. So it was amazing how rapid that was. Yeah, I uh, this must have been in the maybe early nineties, nineties or late eighties. I had uh, like a colleague. I was in the university too, and I had a colleague in another department, actually linguistics, but. On his letters, or he had like printed letter heads and so, and he had address and telephone number, and he had some strange text string with a, which was an email address, and I had never seen, I had never seen that on like a calling card or anything, but I, I must have heard of it because it was, I knew it was some kind of electronic uh, communication tool or something. That was the first email address I, I saw at least connected to a person but then I the first thing I used for internet was just email and that was at work at the university maybe around 95 or 94 I think and there was like rudimentary web pages too but I, I really don't remember I think it was like Yahoo was the first web site catalog wasn't it yeah I think you're right I certainly was using Yahoo before Google existed, I remember that. I just you never looked- used Alta Vista. Oh, I, yes. I, I used it a few times, yeah, but I kept on going back to Yahoo. So um, I, I, I don't know. It's I think Alta Vista was a bit ahead of its time, really, wasn't it? I think Yahoo was actually a catalog. It, it was a catalog. Yeah, it, it was manually. In- they, they they had people manually indexing all these websites. And- yeah, I uh, I remember because. Uh, I think his name is Jerry Yang, one of the founders of Yahoo. And he actually, the first catalog he made was when he was, I think, I think he was graduate student at Stanford at the time when he did his first catalog. And I remember this because I used to be very interested in sumo, uh, as a sumo wrestling. And he was apparently a fan of that too. And the server he had for his first catalog was named Akebono, which was one of the big... Uh, sumo champions at the time this was in the mid 90s actually he went into professional wrestling later i don't know but 
then I, much later, I, I read about this, and then I thought I, I was trying. I actually tried to find this computers. I just wrote in the ER like Ekebono, Stanford, blah blah something, and it was still up and running <laughs> years later, long after we had left Stanford. It was quite fun, but the server was still there somewhere. My first experience, I think, was in work. Be the early 1990s of the internet proper. You know, I played around with, um, you know, FTP and Telnet and Vax machines at university in the 80s. But the internet proper would have been the early 1990s at work, and then trying to find stuff. And and there was actually quite a lot of pages available. We had a connection through work, maybe a 64k connection, uh, which was super fast in those days. And we we flogged it to death, basically. But there were a lot of like news groups, so I suppose. Yes, I remember using uh, NN. Remember, there was a wee client called NN, and then you'd have to, if you want, if there's a binary, like uh, an executable or or uh, uh, an image or a sound file, you had to you you decode it, and then recomb- and recombine files and stuff. I remember doing that. I think I think my the first. Using an application I used was Turnpike, which was which came with. Did you remember Demon Internet? Is a ISP, and uh, you know that came with a, a, a DVD. Uh, no, not DVD. A, C, a CD with all, all this software on it. It's like it had Turnpike, which was an email and um, a Usenet client, and that was probably ninety three, no ninety fourth, somewhere around there, and that was. Suddenly, there's all, all these conversations going on. It's like, you know, I jump, jumped in, and it's like, just as Usenet was dying, obviously, so which is my usual um, timing. But, yeah, it was, it was fascinating, and, you know, I've been hooked ever since, really. My first, uh, like, internet at home was, I think, 96 or maybe 97, and then you got, like, email and, uh, like, a small space for a web page and I think also news groups or usenet was like part of any ordinary like subscription. I don't know if they even exist but I was a CompuServe user, so that must have been the who ninety four, ninety five or something like that. Yeah, I think the first one I used was was FreeServe. I'm trying to think FreeServe was Part of was it, was it swallowed? Oh, it could have been Virgin. It was swallowed by something bigger. I seem to remember, and uh, that was my first email address. Was I think it was I was freenalu at freeserve.co.uk. It was my very first email address. I don't know where that goes now. Oh, what about that hairdresser story you mentioned? <laughs> I was regarding your name or your oh, nickname. Yes. Okay. Well, it was in the early days of the internet, and everybody was adopting nicknames and uh, on the internet and I thought I really have to have a, a, a nickname and I don't know, maybe a lot of young adults go through this phase where you're not, you don't really like your own name very much or maybe people go through that phase a bit younger than me. So I thought, right, okay, I need another name. Uh, and uh, since, you know, I was one of the early adopters of these internet things, uh, it could be quite a short name. Uh, anyway, I, I was thinking, I was looking for this and I went and I had long hair uh, and a ponytail, which I don't have now, and I had a, a beard. My father described it as my Rasputin phase. And one day I said, right, I'm going to get it cut off. So I went into the first uh, hairdressers I found, which actually was a lady's hairdressers, to be honest. Um, but I figured they knew how to deal with 
uh, long hair better than others and also it was the first one I came across and I sat down and I noticed there was two different prices if you got your hair cut by any old stylist uh, one of the women in the shop when I was there then it was one price and if you wanted your hair cut by Nalu N-A-L-U then it was a higher price and I, I couldn't help asks people, I'd like my hair cut by Nalu, please, just to find out what this Nalu person was like. And they all started laughing because the hairdressers was called Hair by Alan, Alan's spelled A-L-U-N. But whenever he went out, they rearranged the letters to read Nalu. So I went, that's it. From now on in the internet, I will be called Nalu. And then later on, when it transpired that four letters wasn't on for an internet name, I put the MC on the beginning. And that is where my name comes from, my internet name comes from. That's quite a revelation. Live on air. Well, for us, live on air. Yeah, but the, the NCA and GCHQ, they already knew. I hope this lady's hairdresser had those, you know, those kind of alien head um, hairdryer things. I always was very impressed by those. You know, it did. It did have It did have that, yeah. Uh, but they didn't use that in me. I didn't get that kind of treatment. That was only if Nalu cut your hair.
us duffers have to talk about um, about gardening. Uh, like, I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> that's that's uh, something I'm very involved in. It. We have fruit trees and vegetable garden and stuff growing. A, a poly, you know, polytunnel with many cucumbers growing. This is cucumber season, so we're we're inundated with cucumbers at at present. Yes, I've seen your pictures uh, that you shared in uh, Identica, or where is it? Uh or ever what status dot net uh, medium we were communicating on at the time. How are your almond trees coming along this year? Well, actually, this year we will have almonds um, because we it was, the tree was a bit sick and and I cut it back. I cut wax out of it last year, and it seems to have done the trick. So we will have almonds this year, uh, and it's a very actually an almond tree is a very very pretty tree because it blooms very early and has, has full of flowers. So so it's a, it's a lovely tree, and and if if Hopefully, if we get almonds, that'll be that'll be wonderful. Yeah, that sounds good. And you you have to be careful if not to eat too many, otherwise you get cyanide poisoning. I understand. Yes, uh, but that's that's another thing. You know, we we also crack um, apricot seeds, and apricot seeds, the kernel of the apricot seed, it tastes like basically like an almond, and it's uh, quite high in, in 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 cyanide, or is it arsenic? Cyanide, cyanide. I think you're right, cyanide. Um, so you can't eat too many of them, but but they are used quite uh, commonly in Hungary, uh, like for cake decoration or just to replace almonds. But ordinary almonds are they uh, cyanide in them too? It's not just a bitter time. No, I was bowing to uh, to Andrew's greater knowledge. I, I didn't think regular almonds contain cyanide, but but I may be wrong there. But they certainly the apricot kernels do. Oh no! I think they do have some cyanide in them, but um, but not. Uh, I think I think if you, if I remember correctly, if you tried to uh, eat enough uh, enough almonds to worry about cyanide poisoning, something else would get you first. Um, although I don't think it's actually cyanide, I don't think cyanide is in them directly. I think it uh, it gets broken down or assimilated into cyanide in some way inside your body. Terminal constipation would get you first. <laughs> I don't think I want to know if anyone's died of that. I must reveal my uh, ignorance, but actually, how do almonds grow? Are they like inside of fruit? Yeah, they're a little. um, Well, they have a little white flower, and then this this kind of fruit grows. It's slightly furry looking, green at the moment, and furry looking slightly. Um, and that's kind of the the surround to the actual um, shell of the uh, of the. the almond itself so nothing terribly exciting later on they'll start to crack open and then we can get the actual almonds that you would recognize uh, the, the name of the almond i'm cheating now by looking at wikipedia but it's prunus amygdalus amygdala is that a part of the brain i'm frantically editing wikipedia to <laughs> put michael off the same <laughs> so we sound educated doubles. So how do you say almond in Swedish? I wonder, is it, a, is it like mandula or is it like many other languages? Mandel. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's one of these words. It's like, it seems to be, there's certain words like tea. If you look at the, the translations of the word tea, it's all two camps. There's the tea camp or the chai camp. And there's, a, there's quite a few food um, foods and, and certain maybe basics of life that fall into these sort of camps of uh, translations or well, you, you all know I'm kind of fascinated by languages. So. How big is your garden, by the way? You seem to have a lot of trees. 
Gerrit, um, well, actually, I, I, we have two gardens, um, if the truth be known. But uh, the at home, the garden is, I don't know, 1,200, 1,300 square meters. Oh, it's reasonably big then. And at your summer castle? It's a bit, <laughs> well, it's a bit bigger. It's, um, it, it's slightly bigger than maybe 1,500 square meters. And there we have many um, walnut trees. Ah, most of these are quite exotic because we, I think walnut trees can be grown in really far south in like good spots, maybe. I'm not sure. I've never seen them. I used to live in a place called Walnut Tree. It was a uh, one of the outer grid squares of Milton Keynes. Uh, did they have any? No, no, they didn't. In fact, they had very little vegetation whatsoever. Um, quite a lot of animal life, uh, mainly coming out of the pub on a Friday and Saturday night. Milton Keynes, where's that? It sounds very familiar. It's um, it's about an, an hour north west of London, and it's the butt of all jokes uh, in the UK because uh, everyone hates it, basically. It's, uh, it's a new town with a grid layout and, you know, not much character to speak of. Although it contains villages, which are quite nice, uh, I have to say. Um, is it a place of, of thousands of, of roundabouts? It is. Um, it has lots of roundabouts. I mean, if you imagine it's like a grid system, so I guess it's what, 10... I mean, it's just, to get a feel for how soulless it is, uh, the roads are called V1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and H1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, you know, the main thoroughfares. And each intersection is a roundabout, so you can uh, work out for yourself that there's uh, at least about 100 roundabouts in Milton Keynes. So it's like a giant motherboard. Yes, but instead of electrons, it contains human beings. Well, that just reminds me to go off on a tangent. Um, there was a podcast, The Skeptic's Guide, and, and they talked about the first the first transistor being switched by a single photon, which struck me as that could be quite amazing, but um, very early days yet. But you just put that back into my mind. The first transistor was, transistor was switched by a single photon. Yeah, they, they've created a transistor that can be switched um, by a single photon. Oh, I see. So it wasn't the first transistor ever invented. Sorry, no, right, no, 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 no. The, right, the first one that can... Aha. Right, so that surprised me somewhat. But still, it's, it's still quite surprising <laughs> now I understand the correct meaning. Yeah, it's interesting. That I was, it always fascinates me that we can talk about a single photon. Uh, somehow, to get the whole particles and waves aspect of, of light squared in your head, uh, I thought you'd need a lot of... Uh, photons to sort of average over many of them to get their properties, but no, it's not true. You can you can't meaningfully talk about a single photon. So that's, I guess, that sounds quite plausible. Although I'm sure a technological triumph to actually do it. But if you study single photons, you are not allowed to blink. Then you will miss it. That's true. Yes, unless it's already gone past your uh, into your eyeball. I think they require the researchers to be able to stare. Yes, uh, there's not a lot of blinking goes on in physics these days. So uh, what do they do if they want to flirt? Physicists don't flirt. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they go down to the biology department and ask for advice, I don't know. Show title, Physicists Don't Flirt. Yeah, do we have a title for this one? We do now, yes. (laughs) 
we have been more serious than the last time. Yes. Yes. Well, we can make up for that, I suppose. Um, yeah. Today was dominated by. For me, today was my theme was ball cocks. I had. Uh, I was uh, replacing the ball cock in my uh, uh, tank upstairs. That's what I was. One of the few things I did today was that. And uh, you know, I just love seeing ball cock a lot. Uh, you know, <laughs> in a day. What is that? Well, yeah, here's, just... here's your opportunity to say whatever you like, Andrew. Well, I thought a, a nice word that I'd like to introduce to the English language would be ball cockery. I just thought that's a nice word. You know, I was thinking maybe back to an old Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns talks about nincompoopery, and I thought, yes, nincompoopery, ball cockery, you know, that is a word I'll try and use. And, well, frankly, everyone will start ignoring me, like they usually do. So, what does it mean? Is it um, I think it, it's got a very specific meaning. I think it means locating yourself in the very highest part of your house and fiddling around in semi-darkness with something wet and not really being sure what you're doing and knowing that when you get it wrong, the rest of your house is going to get flooded. <laughs> That's a very useful concept. I think we should enlighten Mikhail what a ballcock is. It's it's the device, perhaps in your toilet, the cistern of your toilet, that controls the valve. I um, mean, you know, it's kind of like a, um, a plastic uh, ball on the end of a metal arm, and that controls a valve and turns the water on and off. Ah, okay. Yeah, I think plumbers refer to it as a float valve. That's them. You know, they don't talk about ballcocks anymore. Um, I think that's just a, maybe maybe they were never called that. Maybe it's just a big cock and ball story. <laughs> I was a house owner till recently, so I've done my fair work with those things <laughs> sometimes. Well, actually, it's something that drives me nuts at, at at home because you know things have been turned into plastic. All these fittings inside are plastic and break, and you and trying to fix plastic is just a hopeless effort. You know, I, actually, I, I agree. I, I did do a little bit of internet research before I embarked on my DIY plumbing job today, and there was one pearl of wisdom that I got, which was get a brass mechanism. Do not go for a plastic one, no matter how cheap it is. And it was only 11 quid for a, the brass one, and it felt good. You, know, you put, held it in your hand, and the, 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 the float valve mechanism, not the, not the ball cock mechanism, obviously, and it just felt solid and like you could trust it for 20 years or so. You got something for your money. I certainly did. It was £10.98, incidentally. So you're bringing the top brass for your toilets. <laughs> Very good. I like that. I shall tell everybody who comes to my house that story now. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen that such things made of brass. We've converted to a total plastic society here <laughs> for the last decades. So did you make it work at last? Yes, yes, it works. Uh, well, I mean, I don't. Qu- I'm sitting actually. I'm sitting directly underneath it, and I'm not being dripped on. Um, but I intend to go up there every few hours until I go to bed and inspect it, just to make sure that it's not leaking. Yeah, there is always some uh, anxiety involved in owning a house. Yeah, I suppose the bigger anxiety is, you know, when you may not, <laughs> you may no longer have your house. That's uh, what a few people were anxious of during the recession, of course. Yeah, that's true. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing that to, to this to this day we still flush toilets with drinking water? I remember seeing a, a, like a picture somebody had put words to of this little uh, 
African child looking at a at a, a white lady and with his wonderful 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 expression of disbelief and, and saying you you you, sh- you 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 what do they say you shit into drinking water? Well, I would go with the, we certainly flush using the drinking water. I don't don't class what's in the toilet bowl ever as drinking water in my house. With a dog might think otherwise, but. That that said, my my neighbours don't. They use rainwater. It's you know we we keep thinking that we ought to do the same here, but um, you know it's just just getting around to it. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's insane that we're putting completely clean water down the toilet. They can only go to the toilet when it rains. No, 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 no. They 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 they, ca- they capture it, they capture it in a um in in a in a tank somewhere, and then just use that to flush through. Um, apparently, it's, if, if if they leave it standing for too long, you can smell a bit, but um, that's a minor uh, consideration, they say. Yeah, actually, it's a fair, seriously, though, it is a very good point. I, I haven't really thought about it. I, I suppose because I live in a country where we it feels like we have too much water. You know, we want to get rid of it and uh, as fast as possible. It's a it's a nuisance most of the year. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I suppose the the bottom the bottom line of it is. You know the, the cost. You know here, water costs next to nothing. Uh, it's just putting it in pipes and transporting it around. So, but it's not a national duty to go to the loo regularly. National service, just to get rid of the water. I mean. Oh, I see. No, no, it's not quite. We're not quite there yet. No. Wasn't the story some months ago? I just remember now from. Was it Zimbabwe or something? And they had some big problems with their. Uh, uh, oh, I'm losing words here. Now. The system for disposing of waste. And they decided people had to flush their toilets all at the same hour or something. Anybody remember that? Mm. Yes. Yes, I do remember that. I have to think what that was. Synchronized flushing. Uh, ah. <laughs> Actually, was it not because the sewers were blocked or something like that, and they thought if everyone synchronised their flushing that they could somehow f- flush the pipes out or something like that? <laughs> it could go horribly it wrong. Could be, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, I think I think uh, the idea was about as stupid as it sounded. I noticed a story today about um, uh, some guy. The name escapes me just at the moment. That invented the mouse. And, and basically didn't really uh, uh, gain any great uh, money from this because he patented too early. Um, and, and other things, there was other things he was involved in, but this guy, he didn't die penniless, that would be untrue, but, but didn't really benefit from his inventions. Doug Engelbart. Ah, there you go. I remember when I saw that story, I thought, you know, well, my, my second thought was, I wish I had invented the most. My first thought was, I wish I was called Doug Engelbart. <laughs> The third. Oh, he was quite old. Yeah, he was 80, 80 something, 85, something like that. Born 25. Yeah, he's quite a, he gave quite a remarkable present, the, the presentation. The, the mother of all demos, I think it was referred to. Um, I was reading his obituary today, and it sounded like a, a thoroughly remarkable chap. And um, there was a, a BBC had a page of 10. Uh, inventors who invented something amazing like him, but never made big money out of it. One most famous one, of course, would be uh, Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, and I, I was thinking, you know, this goes through history almost. You know that uh, 
the engine, you know, there's a lot of engineers and scientists uh, that never really profited out of anything they did. And even, um, what was that chap who won the, the Fields Medal for Mathematics, which is, a, I think it's a million dollar prize, and he refused it. No, that's uh, the Russian chap. Yeah, yes, the Russian chap. I forget his name. will come back to me in a minute. But yeah, it was definitely it was Russian. And uh, and I had a friend, a friend of mine was saying, "He's crazy! It's a million dollars. Why is he turning that down?" He says, "Do you not understand the thing that motivated him uh, to do the work he did? I think it was proving Poincaré's conjecture. I forget exactly, but you know, the, doing that, that there's no amount of money that would." satisfy a mathematician in the same way that's not what drove him the, the million the fields medal the million dollar prize that's not what would drive any mathematician to do work like that uh, and my friend was just so surprised and, and it really brought it home to me that how many of us really do live in a in a world where money is an end in itself I, I'd forgotten that I've been so used to living my life of well obviously I care about money but it never motivates me in any particular way no it's uh I suppose some are motivated by the possibility of, say, patents, but it, it's not of some, you can read some arguments, like if there weren't a patent system, nothing would ever be invented, which is just nonsense. Oh, yes, it's absolute nonsense, because there wasn't a patent system, and lots of things were invented. Otherwise, the patent would be the very first thing to be invented. Yeah, and people do a lot of, I mean, tiny inventions and solutions in every day. For example, people, say, building houses, and they come up with some nice solution, and then they show others, and then that knowledge spreads, and, uh, you know, nobody ever took any patent for it, but it still made the building techniques better. I mean, it's happened for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, but it's the ridiculous patents that, that you know, there was one um, uh feeding a wire through clothing to headphones or something like that. It's just stupid things people patent. And it's expensive too. I mean, it must be people with no ideas and a lot of money. I mean, those, I mean, there are real inventions, but a lot of patents are just... But, 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 that, but that's the problem with patents, isn't it? Is that it's not about get, having an idea anymore. It's, it's about... You, you know, just get being the first person into the patent office with whatever whatever crap you come up with, and you know that whatever you throw out, they're going to patent it. You know, whatever patent you apply for is probably going to get granted. And there's, we end up with this mess where you've got all these all all these patents basically stopping innovation now. So yeah, it's stifling innovation. One of my favourite uh, inventions in recent years that I've talked about in other podcasts, so I won't, and I'm not going to go into any technical details tonight, but um, is that the whole concept of the Bitcoin and the, the, the distributed decentralized cryptocurrency. I just love that idea. I, I particularly love it tonight because I just fired up my laptop and thought, oh, I haven't looked at this for a while. And I, I remembered I have 50 Bitcoins, which is lovely because Bitcoins are now worth quite a lot of money. Um, and then it just occurred to me, where I first heard about Bitcoins, it was an Identica. It was a link to uh, an excellent series of podcasts called Omega Tau. Uh, and uh, it was a certain at Chocolom on Identica uh, that uh, that uh, had posted that link. Uh, so I, I have to thank, uh, formally thank you here on air tonight uh, for putting me on to Bitcoin, because not only is it fascinating, but uh, I've also benefited from it in some, some tangible way. 50 bitcoins? I've got like 0. Point something of a bitcoin. Well, not long after 
that I got so into it, I started hacking around at the source code a wee bit, I didn't really do anything, but I, I went out and I bought a, an AMD, was it a 6990 or 69, you know, it was pretty near the top of the range AMD, it was 150 quid, so it was a lot of money, um, dirt cheap rest of the components, and just set it up as a Bitcoin miner in the corner of the office for a while, and then after a I can't remember what happened. We had a power cut and it went down and I thought, this thing's just guzzling money, you know, um, and, I, and I put it to the side. And so that's where all those 50 Bitcoins came from. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, are you going to put a beep at the sum just in case the tax authorities are listening? <laughs> well, I am presuming that the tax authorities are, are listening. Well, uh, well, I... I uh, have not benefited. Uh, they're just Bitcoin, so I don't know if you can be taxed for, for Bitcoin. I guess you can. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, Mr. Taxman, I'll declare it. Don't you worry. No, I remember Bitcoins too. I read about it. Yeah. Maybe it was Gavin's post. I first heard about it too. And uh, I read, and I, I, I regret that I never bought any because they were not very expensive back then. I tried to generate some on my computer just when it was running anyway but I never managed to generate anything. I find the whole idea of uh, this crypto currency that bypasses the whole kind of common economy, it is fascinating just just that concept. Technically it's very interesting, yes, but the fact that we could bypass the whole kind of regular economy is, is truly fascinating. Yes, I mean, it is. I mean, what's actually surprised me most about Bitcoin is that it survived this length of time um, and it's slowly but surely becoming real. I mean, you can go into pubs in London, uh, not in Glasgow yet, unfortunately, but in London you can go into pubs and buy a beer with Bitcoin. You can do that in Berlin as well, I understand. I mean, it's it's not mainstream yet, but it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's certainly not died the death that everyone predicted. Even I thought it would probably go in some kind of crazy bubble, and it looked like it would. And the bubble burst, and it came down again, uh, and, then it, and the bubble's gone, if it is a bubble, it's gone way past the size it was when it had its last big pop. So uh, yeah, I think it's very unstable, certainly. But to have lasted, what, was it uh, 2009 it started? So it's into its fourth year, maybe? That's quite a surprise to me. How, how do you pay with it? A pub? Is it like with a smartphone? Or I think so. I think you can use uh, near-field communications, or I guess you can, if you've got your laptop with you, you could whip that out. I think, when I say a pub, I think it's a pub in, in the old street roundabout area of London. I used to work there for a bit, and uh, it's just full of techie people, you know, and so like, everybody in the pub is like a techie person, uh, so it's it, it's not an ordinary part of town, certainly. And you only get a virtual beer anyway. <laughs> Well, then you can drive home. A homeopathic beer, that would be even worse. Yes. Somebody recently, uh, well, I say recently, a few years ago, said, uh, let's go to this uh, microbrewery. They do vegan food and vegan beer. Vegan beer? I didn't know beer had anything (laughs) meat-related in it. And it turns out they said it had blood in it. A lot of beer has blood in it. I thought they used some kind of um, animal product to clear the beer, kind of like a filtering agent. Yeah, I think that was it. But the person was telling me that that, that filtering agent was, was, was in some way extracted from blood. Ooh. But this is the bloke down the vegan pub telling me this, so you have to take that with a pinch of salt. Maybe they filter it with an old fur or something. What do vegan people use for soap? You know what soap's made from? 
No, what do you mean? It will lie and it will. I only know this from playing Dwarf Fortress, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is soap made from vegetable oils. Completely? Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Well, I went. Actually, I went into uh, to buy my wife a birthday present earlier this week, and I went into a high street shop called Lush, which is supposed to sell some kind of fair trade, I don't know, uh, ethical uh, washing toiletry products. And the woman who served me there was vegan. I know that because I said I was going to a Brazilian restaurant for lunch, which basically is just a meat fest. So she didn't like 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 me after I said that. For some reason, I thought you should have said, you know, live long and prosper, but. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody ever tells me they're vegan, I'm going to say that. Well, when I first asked, I remember the, I first asked my dad. I, turned, I knew I knew what a vegetarian was, and somebody said a, a vegan, and I said to my dad when I was a wee boy, "What's a vegan?" And he told me it's somebody that would whip the belt off your trousers. So I thought a vegan was some kind of pervert. <laughs> <laughs> I was a vegetarian, not a vegan, but a vegetarian for quite many years. But that was long time ago. But I cheated a bit. I ate fish sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I went through a, a phase a few years of being a vegetarian. Um, I, to be honest, all that it did by the time I finished being vegetarian is that I previously I didn't really care much for meat. It was just a thing that I ate sometimes after I finished being vegetarian. Meat actually tasted much better. Although I, I do have ethical concerns about it, I have to say. Especially when you look at how much how much that you know, per kilogram of meat consumes so much more in the way of resources on this planet than well, a kilogram of almost any other grown uh, vegetable matter. Yeah, it's not the it's not the system that is going to work in the long run, I suppose. Yeah, so we better <laughs> better eat our eat our burgers while we can. <laughs> yeah, after that, it's bitter herbs. Unless we get the insect um, farms working. Oh yes, we can. Was it? Is it locusts? What was it? We were supposed to eat. Uh, was it locusts? Was it cockroaches? I think. I think there's a number of insects that are in, uh, supposed to be edible, aren't there? I mean, lo- locusts are the one that springs to mind, but I'm sure people have named other ones. Aren't humans really kind of crazy? We 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 eat prawns, but we refuse to eat insects. That's the thing, isn't it? It's like they're basically the same. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. We just need to get over our squeamishness. And, you know, start chomping down on the um, crunchy delights. Yes, uh-huh, yeah. I feel like going out and munching in whatever I find in my garden. That's like a plan. So, uh, that's us, uh, I think, nearly done. Is there anything we'd like to say to wrap up? I suppose we should let uh, Mikhail go through all the details. Tell us the website, Mikhail. Tell us the email address or whatever. You say that just because you think it sounds funny. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I have the honor again. Okay, uh, our uh, internet address is duffercast.org and there you can find the information and uh, our contact details, uh, both individual and collective. Uh, so please visit us there, and you can subscribe to this fantastic audio cast. Excellent, thank you very much. And I just like to point out that I think it was Luke nineteen seventy two said that Mikhail has the best accent of a lot of us.
could be right. I think he might well be right, actually, yes. Yeah, it was... Um, it's a kind of... Uh, <laughs> double meaning there. I'm not sure it's intended, but <laughs> it could mean anything. Well, I'm, oh, I meant to say on the last, um, the last show that uh, we, we will invite guests on and our kind of um, arbitrary um, definition of a duffer is somebody over 40. So who knows if somebody you know, is interested, maybe they can come on the show and, uh, um, and we'll have a chat. Yeah, that's a good point. To save us going around and asking random people, are you <laughs> are you 40 <laughs> or, or over, you know, which I'm inclined to do that in the street with the women that pass by. But to save us doing that, if you are over 40 and want to be a guest, you could possibly get in touch with us and that will save us the whole embarrassing question. Can you imagine if it was a lady duffer and we have to kind of ask that question? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Is there such a thing as a lady duffer? Aren't all ladies under 40 by definition? You can't really call a lady a duffer, can you? I shall go and try and Mrs. McNally when we, when we finish. Well, let's, let's bring this extravaganza to an end. Um, and uh, wish everybody a good night. And good night to you. And good night. Good night. And we allow all sorts of accents and dialects on this podcast. And sexes. Out in New York this morning, just about hey past nine. Thought of my morning album, doing Harley Key from crying. Avalon, my hometown, always on my mind. Avalon, my hometown, always on my mind. Put in Mars and Avalon, want me there all the time. Back down, yeah, where I put him on all the time.